Shalom, and thank you for listening to sermons from Tikvot Israel, a Messianic synagogue in the heart of Richmond, Virginia. Listening to the podcast is great, but if you want the full experience, please join us Saturday mornings at 10 a.m. for our worship service. We are located at the corner of Boulevard and Grove, across from the Art Museum. For more information, you can visit our website at tikvotisrael.com. There, you can support the ministry, learn more about Messianic Judaism, and contact us with any questions or comments. May Hashem bless you through the hearing of His Word. Your Word would go forth and encourage and build up your community. And in Yeshua's name we pray. Amen. About four miles east of here, near Shaco Bottom, is a historic site known as Lumpkin's Slave Jail. I stopped by there this past week, and I, I took some pictures, and I thought I would share it with you all. Possibly, yes. So here's the, here's the site. You can see the, the markers there, and it's next to the highway. You, you, you guys know where that is, right? You can, you can visit there. There's a big parking lot. You can park. Okay. And uh, they have some markers there. That's a, a depiction on the a top right of what it um, probably looked like. Um, there, and it's, it's uh, along the Richmond Slave Trail. You can walk along that, and you see it goes along the river, and there's markers, and you can learn about that. And uh, here's uh, just a picture of the going uh, toward, the, toward the south there, and you can see the markers there and where the, where the site would have been. I learned about this place from a website, uh, virginiahumanities.org, and also from the information on those plaques there, and, and so I'm going to share some of that with you. This site was also known as the Devil's Half Acre by the enslaved Africans who were separated from their families there. It was here that enslaved men and women could be imprisoned until they were sold, kept after they were sold until the money could be cobbled together, or tortured or punished on behalf of their owners. The conditions of the jail were incredibly cruel. According to one local researcher, uh, a woman who lived there was named Mary Lumpkin, who was enslaved by the owner Robert Lumpkin. Despite her circumstances, Mary learned to read and write and inherited the property when Robert died. Here's a quote from one of the signs, and the title is, interestingly, God's Half Acre. Quote, the atrocities of Lumpkin's jail came to an end when the fall of the Confederate forces heralding the end of the Civil War. And similar to the newly freed enslaved people once held behind its bars, the jail building soon breathed in a new and better life. In 1867, only two years after the cries of beaten men, women, and children could be heard emanating from the devil's half acre, Mary Lumpkin leased the property to Reverend Nathaniel Culver, a Baptist minister, who hoped to establish a religious school for those previously enslaved. Stepping over the same iron ring in the floor that once tethered slaves while they were whipped, Mr. Culver taught classes to a quickly growing number of students, and soon Lumpkin's jail became the Culver Institute, later known as Richmond Theological Seminary. Upon moving into more spacious quarters in 1870, this small school, once housed in a slave prison, adopted the title that it still holds proudly today, Virginia Union University, unquote. 
I share this story not only because it's part of the history of our city, uh, but also because it relates to this week's Parshas, both the Torah and the Haftarah portions, which reference the story of Joseph in Genesis. So let's start with a quote from Amos in the Haftarah portion. This is Amos 2, verses 6 through 7. Thus says Adonai, For three crimes of Israel, even for four, I will not relent. For they sell the righteous for silver and the needy for a pair of shoes. They trample the head of the poor into the dust of the earth and thwart the way of the humble. Amos was calling the children of Israel to account during the years of King Jeroboam II. The primary problem here is moral failure. We were repeating the sins of the past, selling the righteous for silver, the needy for a pair of shoes. It either means that there was bribery of the judges going on or that there was enslavement going on of the poor. This is especially bad because Israel was redeemed out of slavery in Egypt. The rest of, uh, the rest of Amos, the other parts, t- talk about this. God chose them. He knew them. He covenanted with them. And they knew what it was like. And yet, their actions were hurting the weak and vulnerable. How does this relate to the Torah portion and Joseph's story? Remember the event that started off our whole journey into Egypt? It occurs in Genesis 37. Joseph goes to meet his brothers because Jacob, his father, asks him to check up on them. So let's pick it up in verse 18. Now they saw him from a distance. Before he was close to them, they plotted together against him in order to kill him. They said to one another, here comes the master of dreams. Come on now, let's kill him and throw him into one of those pits so that we can say an evil animal devoured him. Then let's see what becomes of his dreams. But Reuben heard and rescued him out of their hands, saying, We must not beat him to death. In order to rescue him from their hand and return him to his father, Reuben said, Don't shed blood. Throw him into this pit here in the wilderness, but don't lay a hand on him. So as soon as Joseph came up to his brothers, they stripped Joseph of his tunic, the long-sleeved tunic that he had on, and they took him and threw him into the pit. Now the pit was empty with no water in it. Then they sat down to eat bread. When they looked up, behold, there was a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead with their camels carrying gum, balsam, and myrrh going to bring them down to Egypt. Then Judah said to his brothers, what profit is there if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come on, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites. Let's not lay our hand on him since he's our brother, our own flesh. His brothers listened to him. When some men, Midianite merchants, passed by, they dragged Joseph up and out of the pit and sold Joseph to the Ishmaelites for 20 pieces of silver, and they brought Joseph to Egypt. So Judah here convinces his brothers at the end that selling Joseph into slavery is much better than killing him, but, you know, they're both sins. Another way to think about Judah's statement is to focus on the first part. Perhaps he is saying it like this, what profit or gain is there to killing him? If we sell him, we'll at least make a few shekels off of our brother. Maybe he's thinking about the money they can get for Joseph. What is his life worth? Is Joseph's life worth 20 pieces of silver? This is an ancient story 
but here in Richmond, Virginia, we have a relatively recent history of selling and buying human beings made in the image of God as slaves. And the underlying sin problem is still present. The text is crying out, God redeemed you from the pit, so you would pull others out of the pit, not throw them in like Joseph's brothers. God redeemed us by buying us out of slavery in Egypt. Don't send your brother back that way. God has loved us, so love your brother. The Joseph story is an important narrative. It is the narrative of the rescuer, and all of us are connected. We are tied to this story. Joseph has the destiny of royalty. He is a prince, and his brothers are going to one day bow down to him. So in many ways, this is a story of a prince who becomes a slave. But for what? Why would God make a prince become a slave? Thankfully, this is not the end of the story. God is a God of redemption. The story of the selling of Joseph by his brothers is so deeply ingrained in the Jewish psyche that it found its way into the Machsor, which is the, the prayer book for the High Holidays, um, for Yom Kippur. It is a sin that we are still repenting for, in a sense, because it represents the devaluing the lives of others, a symbol of jealousy, using others for monetary gain and injustice. Some sages believe that the temple was destroyed in the year 70 because of this exact sin. There's a midrash, or a creative retelling of the story, in the Machsur, uh, in the, the Yom Kippur prayer book, that connects the ten brothers who sold Joseph to ten sages that were martyred under the Roman Empire. In certain periods of Judaism, some gave their lives to cling to the Torah. Literally, literally giving your life or, or being a martyr is not glorified in Judaism, but it does make us pause. It makes us think, right, to count the cost of our faith. What is worth giving your life for? If it was illegal, if it was punishable by death to follow God, to read the Torah, to follow Yeshua, would we still do it? What is the cost of following Yeshua? What is the cost of giving the rights of your life over to God? Indeed, there are many faithful Christians in many parts of the world in which this is a daily reality. And it was true for many periods of Jewish history as well. Tomorrow night, we'll celebrate Hanukkah, which was a, a time period exactly like this. Uh, this kind of persecution of, of Judaism and the Jewish people. Most of us don't literally die or give our lives for our faith in God. But aren't we called to give up our lives as a living sacrifice? Aren't we called to die to ourselves, to take up our cross daily, to remember that our lives are not our own, it's not about us? For we are not slaves to sin and injustice and self, but we are servants of God. Connecting the Joseph story and the prophet Amos to the ten martyrs, this is an excerpt from the Machsor. Quote, These I remember, and I pour out my soul within me, for evil ones have swallowed us, 
when during Caesar's rule there was no deliverance for the ten martyrs of that empire. He declared, Judge this case with precision. Do not pervert it by making false statements, but bring true justice to light. What is the verdict if a man is found kidnapping one of his brothers from the children of Israel, treating him as a slave and selling him? When they answer, that kidnapper shall be put to death. He said, then what of your ancestors who sold their brother, trading him with a traveling company of Ishmaelites, handing him over for the mere price of shoes? We have sinned our rock. Forgive us our creator, unquote. According to one Midrashic tradition, not even the death of these ten martyrs atones for this deed of selling our brother, our brother Joseph. In other words, we have sold Joseph into slavery, and in some sense, this sin must be redeemed in every generation, or it's still pending. I wonder if the small historic marker for the Lumpkin slave jail in the city of Richmond is really enough to bring us to seek redemption and wholeness for the sin of slavery. In Judaism, there is the idea that the death of the righteous in some way atones for our sins. But the rabbis even suspect that the death of ten righteous sages doesn't atone for the sin of Joseph's ten brothers. It's not, it's not enough. It's not equivalent for some reason. So what is the proper sacrifice? Well, the temple in Jerusalem was destroyed, so there's no way to do any sacrifices anymore. But the temple of the Holy Spirit remains among God's people. We can be the sacrifice by being servants of God. The story of Yeshua, the gospel, follows the story of Joseph. A prince became a slave, but why? To turn slaves into princes. Joseph became a slave so that his brothers would be free from slavery and debt and famine. The suffering of Joseph enabled him to bring blessing to his brothers. Joseph was the righteous one who saved his brothers, was sold into slavery for 20 pieces of silver, perhaps for a pair of sandals for each of his brothers, according to the prophet Amos. Yeshua, the most righteous one, who saved his brothers and all of humanity from the slavery of sin and death, was sold for 30 pieces of silver. His death makes many righteous, causes us to become a royal priesthood, transforms us from the slavery of sin toward ruling in the kingdom of God. Yeshua, the Prince of Peace, became a slave so that we could be bought with a price, so that we could know freedom. And we follow after him. We become servants to God that we might rule and reign with him in humility. We, all of humanity, we have sold Yeshua, our brother, for money. It was our sins that Yeshua paid for. It is we who are responsible for his death, though he himself did nothing wrong. It's not fair. It's not fair that Joseph was sold into slavery just for sharing a few dreams. It's not fair that Yeshua should die instead of me. But that is the price that he paid. 
He was fully human. He knew the cost, the pain of carrying my misdeeds, and he did it anyway. Yeshua is the righteous one, and his death on the tree brings redemption to all who receive it. You know, redemption is a word we use a lot, but it's very applicable here. And what does it mean? Literally, it simply means to buy back, right? Yeshua has bought us back with his own life. There's another part of the Haftarah portion that is quite striking. Amos mentions the roar of a lion in Amos 3, verses 6 through 8. This is what it says. If a shofar alarm sounds in a city, will people not tremble? If there is calamity in a city, has not Adonai caused it? For the Lord Adonai will do nothing unless he has revealed his counsel to his servants, the prophets. A lion has roared. Who will not fear? My Lord Adonai has spoken. Who shall not prophesy? In other words, God has given us the prophetic witness, the story of Joseph, the prophet Amos, and these are like the sound of a shofar. These are like the roar of a lion. And what do these things do? What does the roar of a lion do? What does the shofar do? It wakes us up to righteousness. The Lord is calling us to righteousness, to justice, to mercy, to tell the story of the prince who became a slave, to turn slaves into princes. Born into slavery, Mary Lumpkin turned the devil's half acre into God's half acre. The lion of Judah, the Messiah of Israel, roars. He roars for us to be zealous, to love our brother and sister. The Lord roars from Zion to all of the earth. Let us hear him. Let us follow him in love. What is the value of your life? You were bought with the price of God's only son, the only righteous one. How can we live every day with that reality in our hearts? Let's pray. Avinu, we thank you for your gospel, the good news, which is foretold in the story of Joseph and brought to fullness in the story of Yeshua. And we thank you that you are redeeming us and have redeemed us, bought us back from the slavery of sin uh, so that we um, can repent for selling our brother into slavery and that we, uh, as your children, can be like you, that we can be conformed into your image because you're a loving father, you're a forgiving father, and you have made us, created us in your image to reflect your goodness on the earth. And But Lord, we need your help to do that. We can't do that in our own strength, but in you, Lord, we can follow you and we can follow after you. And we thank you that you use the difficult things in our lives to bring about blessing to not only us, but to, to those around us, that they can be stories and testimonies and witnesses of your goodness and your love and your faithfulness of God. And uh, we pray that you would um, do that for, for our community here at Tikvot Israel, that we would be a blessing to the wider community of Richmond, Virginia, where you have planted us and, and placed us. And in Yeshua's name we pray. Amen.